Public health is a population-based field of science focused on preventing disease and promoting health. Every week, we will be engaging in interactive discussions and analyses of the latest public health issues affecting you and your communities all around the world. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Ben, and I'm here with Linda, Gordon, and LaShawn. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. November is Fall Prevention Month in Canada. Having an entire month dedicated to raising awareness about the incident of falls, the associated risk factors, and the urgency to support healthy aging is an indicator of the magnitude of this public health issue. In this episode, we'll be using the article, Preventing Senior Falls Requires Community Approach, written by Kim Chrisberg in a publication of the American Public Health Association as a foundation to discuss why is fall prevention a public health issue. At face value, a fall is such a common life occurrence that at first we may not appreciate its impact versus describing a heart attack. But as we'll learn and discuss, its burden on public health and the healthcare system is quite distressing. So let's begin our discussion by defining what a fall exactly is. All right, so according to the WHO, the definition of a fall is as follows. A fall is defined as an event which results in a person coming to rest inadvertently on the ground, floor, or other lower level. And fall-related injuries may be fatal or non-fatal, but most of the time, they're non-fatal. Yeah, and according to the International Classification of Disease, ICD, they define falls as injury resulting from falling, including falling on the same level, which includes something like falling on the sidewalk, uh, falling from one level to another, which stairs are an example, and falling from an object such as, you know, some furniture, whether it's wheelchair or couch or off the toilet. So what causes falls? Well, the first thing I think of is weather. So, you know, in Canada, our winters can get pretty hectic. So, you know, if it's an icy sidewalk or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, that's a huge factor for falls for all age groups. Mm -hmm. That's typically the first thing that comes to people's mind. But if you if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, falling from walking on a surface such as, you know, snow or ice only accounts for about uh, 15 Mm. to 16% of fall related Mm -hmm. injuries and falling from walking on just a normal surface actually accounts for more about half um, of all falls that result in injuries. Yeah, so when I kind of reflect on some, I guess, instances of falling, I think about areas in my life where I spend the most time. So for me, one of those examples would be at home. So what are the different, I guess, hurdles or objects in the house that contribute to fall? So can it be a carpet that doesn't have grip? Can it be um, in your washroom where there's wet spots that could allow you to slip mm-hmm. more easily. Mm-hmm. Getting into the bathtub, mm-hmm. maybe slippery bathtub, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even mm-hmm. you're wearing the socks and, you know, the, the friction between the floor and the sock is not very strong. So you kind of fall and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And even just going back to that stairs example, you were talking about like making sure you have handrails mm-hmm. on your stairs or stairs. any other areas. Did you fall down? Have you ever fall? Falling no. up the stairs? You ever fall I up have. the stairs? Uh, oh, I mean, going up and you, you know just, what? I Honestly, when I saw that one that that was one type of fall, I didn't really get it. How can you fall up going but it's I guess you're going <laughs> up the stairs and you and you fell. Try I guess you miss it, you, know? you kind of miss your step going up, so you yeah. kind of just I yeah, guess plant. It, okay. It counts yeah, as a definition. Makes no th- makes sense. Yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> like imagine even wearing socks going up the stairs, you're like running quickly up yeah. the stairs, boom. 
You know, you just fall down. Yeah. It happened to me a bunch of times. Yeah, exactly. But also one of the reasons um, someone can fall too, which is, let's give a more kid-friendly example. Um, Kids are very curious, um, engage Mm. in, you know, certain behaviors such as playing sport outside and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So that's one of the common reasons as well that people can fall is just engaging in physical activity. Right. Yeah. And I guess even going on off of that, um, if you're thinking of kids indoors as well, a lot of um, parents put up some child gates by the stairs so that children don't fall down. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another important yep. and thing. And my sister know. has done flicks off a chair and um, um, fallen as well, which is, was been was scary. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. that's just what, when you take your eye off a kid for a minute, that's kind of what happens, right? So, yeah, it's like they can tell mm-hmm. that they're not being watched and they just start yeah. doing crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or even just harmless things yeah. like being on a bed or something mm, a kid could easily roll over exactly. yeah so. just jumping on the bed's fun you know mm. is that from yeah. current experience or no back in the day man <laughs> back in the day. so we talked a lot about like external reasons what about internal reasons as the causes for falls so if someone has like a medical event or health problem because uh, that kind of segues into our target mm-hmm. population as to why falls is a public health issue right yeah right. i'm glad you brought that up because um about eight percent of falls result from some kind of medical event or health problem um, of which there's like a pre-existing or underlying cause like, you know, seizures or stroke. So even mm-hmm. developmental issues like mm. cerebral palsy, um, you're just at risk for falls and it's hard to mitigate that because it's not mm. something like aging that causes it. It's just right. something that carries with you. So Yeah, I guess other kind of internal factors would be if you're, you have issues with maintaining your blood pressure or managing your blood pressure dizziness if you're if you have a stroke or if you had a stroke in the past and even like we talked about in our last episode um Mm -hmm. dementia also if you have um, an impairment with your vision that Mm, can contribute to falls as well with depth perception and everything yep so i know lashawn mentioned this but um how falls primarily occur at home but are there any other settings where falls also occur that result in emergency department visits or hospitalizations? Yeah, I guess um, long-term care homes, which is a little scary because intuitively you would think this is the safest place, Mm. a long-term care home, but a lot of falls can occur in those settings because the population is at risk already. Yeah, and if you think of just, you know, the resources that are needed for around-the-clock supervision, you know, in Mm -hmm. in these institutions, they're not chained to their bed. If you think of an example with people with complex needs like dementia care um if they get up in the middle of the night and they're not sure where they are they might get a little flustered and you know lose their balance and stuff like that that so, makes me so sad yeah. that's so, so sad yeah yes oh yeah no yeah of course like even relating back to some personal examples um my grandma who lives with me she has dementia and you know she gets up all the time at night to go to the bathroom and you know what we've done is we've we have night lights across the house so that she'll be able to navigate a bit easier mm-hmm. during the night when there's limited light yeah and to that point too lashana a key thing too like on one end of it you have chronic medical conditions that in of them themselves increase the risk of a, a fall event and you have medications that you take to treat mm-hmm. those conditions that also can increase the risk of falling so if you think mm-hmm. of right. Um, right. Med- a lot of times seniors um, take medications such as laxatives to go to the washroom or even um, 
diuretics um, for you know blood pressure reasons, and mm. this increases the frequency um, by which they need to access the washroom, which includes getting up and down from off the sofa or what the bed more often, which increases the exposure and risk of mm. potentially having a fall event as well. Mm. So, thank you for laying that out too to see how all these factors are connected and contribute to falls mm -hmm. and then because we have a lot of factors that contribute to falls there's also a lot of outcomes that come from falls so you know you would think oh a person falls down they get physically injured but in right. reality it's a lot more nuanced than that right. so for example if we just talk about the physical aspect they would get injuries such as hip fractures spinal injuries such as herniated discs head injuries such as concussions but in reality, there's more going along with the psychosocial aspect of falls. Yeah, so I think um, one thing from doing my research on falls in my work at the health unit, um, one of the things that came up is fear of falls. So when someone, and we're talking about in this case, older adults, because children seem to have no fear. So it's <laughs> that's, that's something that doesn't deter them from engaging in future behavior. But seniors are actually um, pretty anxious about falling. So... If, especially if they had a previous event of a fall. So this affects their um, willingness to want to go out and put themselves, um, you know, maybe they used to walk before the fall and they fell on the sidewalk and now they're a little bit scared to that it happens again because of all the trauma associated with it. You know, they lose their independence essentially and they lose the kind of their their freedom if they experience a fall. Absolutely. And even to go off that again, like you're thinking about an individual who, who maybe has, has had a fall and then they're more fearful to engage in activities like walking, jogging, running. Um, but then again, that kind of is almost a negative feedback if you stop participating mm -hmm. in exercise because we know the importance of exercise and building muscle and maintaining muscle mass and balance and how that's important in preventing falls as well. And I think that the key piece here too is, so on one end of the spectrum, um, you can fall, get a little bruise or a scrape, maybe maybe you just have a scar on your skin and there's no kind of long lasting effects from it and then if your falls are severe enough uh, you might need to go to the emergency department and you might even need to be hospitalized and we know that falls are the the leading cause of injury related hospitalizations for older adults so we can see that what, what like what ben alluded to falls is a very complex issue and the the set of outcomes are very diverse as well ranging from kind of the less severe to more s severe and even mm -hmm. a lot of cases um, people die from a fall so that's very important i wanted to talk more about the population health burden because we talked a lot about the personal aspects of a fall and how they can burden the individual who has fallen and also the family so falls are the second leading cause of unintentional injuries for deaths worldwide and it's second only to road traffic incidents, which we discussed in a previous episode. So why hasn't this gotten more of a focus in the past? Yeah, I think this kind of ties back to the episodes we did on dementia. Because it's seen as something that's a part of the natural aging process where people lose muscle tone, um, they lose bone mass, they, you know, they lose their balance, they become older and frailer. It's just like, yeah, you know, it's expected that grandma's going to fall, right? So it, there's less of an, um, a need or urgency to kind of look at mm. it as something that's preventable. 
And that's kind of the reason why um, for all the episodes we've been doing on injury prevention, we've stayed away from the word accident because accidents suggest that um, something was kind of inevitable and not preventable, that the ice on the floor. So if we go back to even the ice on the floor, I give you a personal example. I had a very bad fall during um, our MPH program um, where I was actually running to catch the bus to get the class because our classes were mandatory and I was running and it was icy everywhere because I missed the bus. So I had to run like one kilometer in 10 minutes on ice to catch the bus. And that's a recipe for disaster. So I was like running and I was turning a corner. There's was an oh, ice no. sheet there and I just plant, boof, mm. right? So was that preventable? Absolutely. Would it have meant that I missed the first part of class? Yes. But was it preventable if I didn't run? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to, it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. we're kind of peeling back um, falls to the basic level. Mm-hmm. Like what are the causes of falls to kind of see, oh, you know, maybe if you didn't have clutter on your stairs, it wouldn't have fall. Maybe if my yeah. socks feels a bit slippery, I don't think it's safe to walk. Maybe you took off the socks or were house slippers with more grip, you know? So stuff like that helps um, reframing the argument to make falls something that's more preventable. It reminds me of the road traffic incident um, episode as well, where we discussed how that idea that you know road traffic incidents are um, inevitable versus preventable mm-hmm. um so yeah i would love to see that same kind of i guess energy towards the vision zero in terms of road traffic incidents mm-hmm. to vision zero in terms of falls that'd be really cool so every year there are 37.3 million falls that are severe enough to require medical attention so we know that this is a common issue and we need to do something about it yeah so so each year we know that globally there are about um, almost 40 million falls that are severe enough to warrant some kind of medical attention in in the shape of an emergency department visit, um, hospitalization, or some kind of medical care. And of those falls, we know that that results in about 17 million disability adjusted life years lost. So in the context of disability adjusted life years, aka DALIs, is there a nuance calculating DALIs in this situation? Because we know that from our previous discussion, children and older adults are disproportionately affected. So when we think of something like DALIs, that includes a key component of um, premature years of life lost. It's important to tease out DALIs have a weighted portion where um, it accounts for the premature years of life lost. And if children are dying, that's going to skew disability adjusted life years lost in terms of being more because the life expectancy for children is obviously higher than someone who is uh, 65 plus. So essentially, um, the whole point of this is following a fall, uh, seniors are more likely to suffer a notable injury, right? And then they're less likely to recover to their pre-fall state as a result of any acquired uh, permanent partial or permanent total disability. And as a result of this, they're more likely to kind of lose their dependence um, than the younger population under the age of 65. So that's that's all that we're trying to say here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are the risk factors the same for both populations? So I think the risk factors are similar when we talk about it, looking at falls um, from a social determinant of, of health perspective. We know that, you know, in the context of falls, um, income will be important. Um, we know that work environments will be important um, because if you have a more hazardous job, you maybe you work in construction, you have to go on high-rise buildings. Um, there's an increased risk of falling. We know that you know housing conditions are a risk factor, and income poverty are also risk factors for falls. So this is where, um, regardless of the population, these would kind of be uh, prevalent throughout. Okay, so. From an environmental aspect in terms of social determinants, there's 
some similar risk factors. But I would disagree when you zoom in on each age demographic because in terms of older adults, I think a lot of falls perhaps are due to having limited mobility and not mm-hmm. being able to be as active versus in children, your risk increases when you are that kid that's climbing on everything and you know you you are more active that can increase your risk of falls. So I think it's, I would say that you have different risk factors for the mm-hmm. age groups. Further to that, um, Linda, when you look at things like chronic conditions that are more related to aging, something like, you know, like you, you mentioned mobility, but we can also throw cognition, vision, and hearing impairments to that. That's more likely to disproportionately mm-hmm. affect um, older adults. And mm-hmm. those are also risk factors for falling. So these are, these suggest that there are mm-hmm. both similarities and differences for mm-hmm. the different groups that are affected by mm-hmm. falls. Now, does gender play a factor at all? Mm. Based on some of the research um, that's out there, it's been shown that across all age groups and regions, both genders are at risk for falls. In some countries, however, it's been noted that males are more likely to die from a fall, whereas females suffer more from non-fatal falls. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what the reasons are behind that. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it has more to do with the yeah, occupational roles and gender roles and mm. also just the amount of risk. I mean, for example, males typically tend to be the ones doing more, for example, construction work. And if you have a fall there, um, your risk of death perhaps is higher as opposed to if you're a, a female and you fall in your home. So mm. that could influence it, but definitely would love to mm-hmm. see the data on that. Yeah, it it just kind of goes to shows falls are complex, they affect everyone. And, you know, there's data out there showing that a huge percent of falls don't even have a single cause. It's multifactorial. And I think that's a great segue into the way that different countries approach falls. So each year, an estimated roughly half a million people die from falls globally. And over 80% of those falls occur in low to middle income countries. And with the regions of the Western Pacific and the Southeast Asia accounting for 60% of these deaths. So why is there a difference in how countries view falls? And is that affecting the data that we're having? Because as we said, it's multifactorial, but we have some data suggesting that men are more likely to have fatal falls, some data that says maybe that might not be the case. So is there something that we can tease out here? We had a very great discussion in one of our previous episodes on dementia about the disproportionate burden in low and middle income countries. And that was kind of tied into more of a lag in the increase in life expectancy. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm guessing it could be a similar case here where the percentage of the population that are considered older adults are increasing more rapidly in developing countries um, as they kind of move from developing to developed countries as their economies begin to flourish and um, diffusion of innovation such as you know medical care and treatment kind of trickle down to developing countries and the life expectancy goes up that might be a reason why um, there's that um, disparity between global incomes but 80 percent that seems a little bit uh, that's a very interesting number right yeah, yeah and it could also be um, just based on like the infrastructure so built environment so are there mm-hmm. safe areas Areas for walking mm-hmm. throughout the areas in low and middle income countries um, compared to developed countries, which may have a more regulated um, sidewalk or roadways or pathways that you can walk and do exercise and engage in different activities. Or even are there handrails in common areas? Like these are things that we take exactly. for granted when in reality they're everywhere. And you know, it kind of brings me back to the road traffic episode where it's like, how come even though it's such a huge burden of, um, I guess, death worldwide, 
how come it hasn't got its shine? Maybe it's because there are other pressing issues in low and middle income countries that, you know, are prioritized ahead of um, looking at falls. Right. And if it's conceptualized as something that's inevitable, why would you spend limited resources Mm -hmm. to address it? Well, I guess, you know, I think we one key thing that we we didn't really touch on is like i'm looking at it again over 80 percent of fall related fatalities occur in low and middle income countries and we talked about a lot of these fall related injuries require um, emergency department visits and hospitalizations but we've you know as we touched on in previous episodes there is a, a gap in the healthcare system structures mm-hmm. that exists in a lot of developing or low and middle income countries. So if people aren't able to get the care that they need following a fall related event, their risk of dying will be greater compared to um, countries like Canada, where there's universal access to healthcare, mm-hmm. where you would never necessarily, right. unless, you know, I know I acknowledge that there are rural regions where access is difficult, but in general, most people aren't worried about not being able to get an ambulance to get to the hospital. So I imagine that could be the case for why more more people die. Uh, it would be mm-hmm. interesting to see the incidence rate of falls like that don't result in deaths uh, to see if that's different. Because that would be that would tell us um, that it's more the care aspect that is that is kind of causing this disparity. Right. And even as we know, funds are usually reallocated to acute trauma care. Mm hmm. So if there's minimal public education being addressing injury prevention, that kind of helps with the whole, you know, we're focused on building up our healthcare first versus public health, like the preventative measures. And also that may tie into the general attitude that lawmakers or policymakers have where they believe that injuries are the result of bad luck, right? Yeah, I'm wondering too, is you think there'd probably be some cultural differences too for the way people approach falls? Like I know in the Western culture it's more and linda touched on this in our dementia episode it's more acceptable to kind of put your parents in long-term care homes Mm -hmm. um but in the kind of more eastern cultures it's usually the children that look after their aging parents so is it their needs are not being met in the home setting considering that most falls occur in the home um rather Mm -hmm. than the Mm long-term care settings i don't know curious but i mean that's a something worth exploring because if you think about it how do you modify your home to meet the needs of an elderly person? Um, Mm -hmm. It's expensive. Like that's not something everyone has access to. So Mm -hmm. that definitely could be a factor. Or just know how to do it. Right. Or do you have the space to do it? The resources. Like even personally, like Mm -hmm. my mother already has trouble going up and down the stairs and she's on the second floor. So in the future, I'm already thinking like, okay, what room do we have downstairs or what space do we have downstairs to restructure as like a living space? Mm -hmm. And it's it's difficult because you got to consider the functional aspects too, right? So what you what what kind of modifications you make in the kitchen are going to be different from the ones you make in the bedroom. And that that's going to be different compared to the ones you make in the bathroom. So there's a lot of consideration and different kind of um, materials and tools you can incorporate for that. And a lot of people don't know what's out there. Yeah, before we move on as well, um, we kind of touched on it earlier. There are underlying social determinants of health that kind of influence a population's risk of falling and, and um, income is one of them. So um, if the resources, financial resources are not available, um, whether it's in a, in a high income country and then you have like lower income neighborhoods, or if you're looking at it from a global perspective where you're talking about low and middle income countries, um, some of these communities and families might not have those resources available to do some of those best practices in mm-hmm. um, home modifications to support the complex needs of the aging family member. 
So that's kind of a reason as well. Absolutely. Like just going off that even more, just like thinking about um, even getting vision care that in many countries, you it's not a part of their universal care or considering footwear, nutrition. So a bunch of social determinants of health um, play a factor as well. That was a great discussion regarding the risk factors for falls, the risk population, the population burden. So in our next episode, I wanted to discuss what are the interventions to help with uh, fall prevention and what are some case studies that we can use to discuss it. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.